Good morning. I would like to begin by saying thank you to your pastor, your leadership team for giving me this opportunity to proclaim God's word to God's people. And I, of course, do not come to you in my own name, but in the name of the living God, and alive and well he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're like me, you don't mind hearing an occasional feel-good story. And one that comes to my mind happened a number of years ago now. You can, I believe, still find it on a YouTube video. The setting was a girls' softball tournament championship game. The young lady appears to have hit the winning home run. She's rounding first base, begins to limp, and then down on the ground she crashed with a torn ACL in her knee. And that's where she lay between first and second. Now the rules state that she herself must touch each base for the run to count and that her teammates may not help her. The opposing players huddled and they made a decision. They went to her side and lifted her up off of the ground. They carried her to second base, which she touched. Then they carried her to third. She touched it. Then they brought her home. The run counted, but those who helped lost the game. But they helped the hurting. And that always feels good, does it not? If I might share with you for a moment what it is the ministry I am connected to does, Christian Family Solutions, for nearly 60 years, this ministry has existed for no other reason than to help the hurting. And the way in which we help the most hurting people is through our professional Christian counseling. We have 110 counselors operating out of any one of over 50 clinics in seven states, including this one. And if they are not seeing somebody who drives to the clinic to get the help that they need, they're in front of their computer laptop using technology that has become familiar to so many of us, Zoom, offering face-to-face -face counseling help to some hurting person literally somewhere in the world. Currently, over 800 Wells congregations make use of this particular service to the hurting members of their congregations. As do all of our Lutheran high schools, area Lutheran high schools, our prep schools, our college, our seminary, Wisconsin Lutheran College, Bethany Lutheran College, Kingdom Workers, Friends of China, World Missions, and others. Last year, thousands of people got the help that they need from our Christian counselors. People say that we are in a health pandemic. We are also in a mental health pandemic. Each one of us here in church today knows somebody who is suffering today. In a book published by our synod pre-COVID, authored by a Lutheran psychologist after studying a cross-section of Christian congregations throughout America, not just Wells, he concluded that in any given year, 20% of a church's membership is in need of professional counseling help. And I'm sure that he would agree that with the impact of COVID, those numbers are much higher. What is it that we are seeing? 
you name it, we see it. Anything from anxiety to depression, marital problems, problems with children, problems with parents, problems with loss, grief, loneliness, isolation, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, and the, and the list goes on and on and on, hurting people in need of help. I appreciate your interest in and support of this ministry. But it's one thing to take interest in and to support a ministry that have, has expertise that the average person does not possess. But when you stop and think about it, helping the, helping the hurting is not only for experts. It's really what you and I do. On this Transfiguration Sunday, we remember how Jesus physically was transformed before three of his disciples, and there appeared two big people, Moses and Elijah, from the past. The three disciples wanted to stay there and kind of bottle this experience, but that was not allowed. They had to go back down the mountain because there was work to do. Today I'm going to talk about a different story, familiar to all of us, I'm sure, the parable of the Good Samaritan, because in it, Jesus tells us what his expectation is for you and for me as we live out our life until he takes us home to heaven. He wants us not only to be concerned about the hurting. He wants us not only to, you know, pray for them, which is important. He wants every one of us to do what we can to alleviate their suffering. And we'll be reminded this morning that God himself gives to you and to me both the power and the desire to help hurting people because he has made you and me part of the best feel-good story there ever will be. My suspicion is, is that you're already familiar with the account of the Good Samaritan. The setting is this. Jesus appears to be teaching a crowd of people and suddenly one stands up and in interrupts him. He's called an expert in the law. What's an expert in the law? Among other things, he knew the Bible fairly well. Personally, I think he's kind of full of himself. But try to picture it. He stands up interrupts Jesus, and he says, tell me, teacher, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus kind of turns it right back on the guy, and he says, basically, well, you're the expert. How about if you tell me? What does the Bible say? And he recites the passage quite well. He says, well, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The response that Jesus gives to that at first sounds a little bit like false doctrine, but of course it's not. He basically tells this guy, buddy, you do that and you're in. What Jesus is getting at, of course, is that if this guy was capable of loving God perfectly and loving his neighbor perfectly, then he would not be among the imperfect people who are in need of a savior. He'd be able to get to heaven with his own effort. But of course, he was a sinner like me, and that was impossible for him, and he had that to learn. My guess is that he had an attitude and a belief like a lot of people do today. I believe he had a ladder-climbing approach to getting into God's heaven. What I mean by that is, one rung of his ladder, the good things he tried to do in life. 
the next rung of the ladder, the bad things he tried to avoid. And he kept on climbing, kept on striving, and he assumed in his own head that when he got to the top rung of the ladder, that's the day of his death, and he'd find himself in front of heaven's door, the door would swing open, and in he would go. It's not how it works, though, is it? Left to himself, without a savior, his ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. He must have started to doubt his own thinking because he comes back at Jesus and he says, yeah, but tell me, who's really my neighbor anyway? Again, like a lot of people today, I believe he had kind of a a selection process as to who was in his inner circle as his friends. I believe it was probably like today. People that looked like him, acted like him, as educated as he was, as affluent as he was, those are the people that he invited into his inner circle. Those are the people he regarded as his neighbors. And if they were hurting, he would feel an obligation to help them. But he decided in his own head that the people outside of his little circle, the people over there, they're not really his neighbors. And if they're hurting, too bad. And so Jesus teaches the classic parable. A man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and suddenly his day goes south. He's jumped up by some robbers. They take everything he has, nearly his life, and leave him on the side of the road to die. Two guys, one at a time, come by. They notice this poor guy. They probably look him over a little bit and look real sad and shake their head. But they end up tiptoeing around him and going on with their day because they had more important things to do. And these guys should have known better. They're the church-going types, a priest and a Levite. Then you have somebody coming by in his donkey. You would never expect him to stop, and he stops. It's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not get along at all back then. But he sees this poor guy lying there, and his heart goes out to him. He's got to do something. So he jumps down from his donkey, does his best to bandage him up, puts him on his own donkey, walks him into town, checks him into the urgent care facility of their day, stays with him through the night. In the morning, he has to be on his way, so he gives some cash to the innkeeper, and he says, I will be back if it costs more than this. We'll settle when I return. That's the end of the story. And then you have Jesus asking the expert a question. Notice he turns the question around a little bit from who is my neighbor to who acted neighborly to the man who fell among robbers. And the expert thinks about it and he answers, it's the one who showed him mercy. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus says, now, you, you go and do the same thing and forget about that little circle of yours. As I mentioned, he had a ladder-climbing approach to getting into God's heaven, but without faith in Jesus, his ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. He was an expert, all right, really going places. Just so happens that one of those places was not heaven. It might be a good time in this sermon for you and for me to ask ourselves the question, how does our effort at climbing the ladder look? I mean, how has it looked in the past? I mean, if we're really honest... Would you agree with me that there are times from our past that we would just as soon forget? If only we could forget, right? Days we're not very proud of. Times when we withheld love from someone. Times when we withheld forgiveness from someone. 
times when we acted as if the world revolved around us. Times when we weren't too excited about worship or personal Bible study or prayer. Yeah. Times when we had somebody in our life who was really hurting. We really feel ba- felt bad about their situation. We knew we should really do something, but we ended up tiptoeing around them, didn't we? And we went on with our day because, you guessed it, we had more important things to do. And we're the church-going types. Left to ourselves, our ladder is also leaning against the wrong wall, wouldn't you agree? But God so loved the world that he actually did something about it. Think about it. A lot of people can talk a good game when it comes to love or merely have loving thoughts. Loving activity takes it to a whole nother level. God in his love took action. And the action that he took was the giving of his dearest treasure in the person of his son who took on human flesh like you and I have and as as the perfect holy son of God he waded into the sinful murky swamp of humanity but he maintained his holiness in the process. And that is of vital importance to you and me, and this is why. Because God promises in his word that when you and I believe that his son is our savior, get this, God promises to take the perfection of his son, the holiness of his son, and he credits it to us. The Bible says God clothes us in his son's righteousness. And as a result, God's face shines down upon you and me with love and approval, acceptance, and even admiration. That's a God you and I don't have to be afraid of. Not today, not tomorrow, and not on the day we die. Talk about a feel-good story. And that's only the half of it. Because not only did God's Son live a life of perfection for us, He then eagerly and willingly went to the cross, suffering all the blame and shame for everybody's last sin in the process, winning for you and for me the forgiveness of all of our sins. So that as far as the east is from the west, and that's a very long distance, that's as far as God has removed our transgressions from us. And he promises in his word that when you and I believe that his son did that for us, He promises to take us to a real, endless, perfect, joy-filled, custom-made heaven. And he's got his family back together again. Talk about a feel-good story. And it's real. And it's ours. You may have noticed we're not in heaven yet, are we? There are chapters in our story yet to be written. The parable of the Good Samaritan reminds us of what Jesus is looking for in the final chapters of our story. And my guess is that everybody in church today, we have somebody in our life who's really hurting, who would benefit from us showing love, care, concern, help, in response to all the love, care, concern, and help that God has afforded us. We see hurting people in our ministry every single day of the week, including Sundays. A number of years ago, pre-COVID, 
I was preaching at one of our Florida congregations. I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm happy to do that in the winter. Little did I know that there was somebody in the audience that had received counseling from us. It's all confidential, so I have no way of knowing who's getting counseling. It was revealed to me after the service. There was a teenage girl in the audience. She was the one receiving the counseling, and she was with her mom. When I was done, I was greeting people at the door, and the mother and teenage daughter came through the line. I shook mom's hand, and with the other hand, she slipped me a note that she had written during the service. Later, I opened the note, and it read, Thank you. I have my daughter back, and she's also back with the Lord. Help for the hurting. I still have that note. A number of years ago, again pre-COVID, I was um, speaking at a convention on the West Coast and a gentleman from the audience who I'd never met and once again who I had no way of knowing, we in fact had been counseling, introduced himself and said to me, uh, Pastor Maddox, could we have a private conversation sometime today? And I said, certainly. We sat down later together and he shared his story. He said, I'm married and I have children. I'm the chairman of our congregation. I'm the lay delegate to this convention. And ever since I can remember, I have struggled with same-sex attraction. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm now able to manage this burden in a way that is pleasing to my Lord. Help for the hurting. When I compare the expert in the law in this account of the man in the story dying on the road, I choose to believe that the man dying on the road was in better condition. Because we know that the expert in the law was still dead in his transgressions and in his sins, spiritually dead. He was either hurting and didn't know it or hurting and didn't know why. Which leads me to one final story I'd like to share with you. In one of the congregations that I've served in my ministry, there was a young, a young lady, a member, uh, probably at the time in her mid-30s, so faithful, worship, Bible class, service, you name it, a real joy. But something about church made her extremely sad, and it was her husband. Um, her husband was a devout atheist, would have nothing to do with church. She talked to me on occasion about her concern. His name was, was Don. Her concern for Don, and she knew that with all of his travel and his big job, he, if something happened, he would be lost eternally. On one occasion, when I visited them at their house, Don nearly laughed me out of the house. Yeah. But a year after that, um, he began to show up in church, to my shock. And, uh, but he was not a willing participant. He did not want to be there. He's probably pleasing his wife. And, um, and he was not nice, uh, but uh, he was there. Oh, sometime about a half a year, year after that, he showed up unannounced at my office, and after some small talk in his, in his gruff way, he got to his point. He said, uh, Pastor Maddox, that thing you guys hand out at church, I don't even know what you guys call it anyway, a bulletin or something? I said, yeah, that works. He said, well, it says in there that you've got some kind of a information class starting up. I said, yeah, Bible information class. Uh, I don't know, I, I might want to take that in. Whoa. 
Um, he was a real busy guy, and his schedule was not all, at all compatible with the day and time of the class. So I, I took uh, Don through the class one-on-one. -on -one. And in this case, it was a 20-week a, a um, course, a good hour every week, taking a look at what God had to say about everything. And when we were done with that 20 weeks, I asked him, I, I said, uh, Don, what do you think? I don't know. I just don't know. Could I take the class again? Okay. So we started all over again. We ended up going nearly a year. And when we were done, or at least I assumed we were done, I asked him again. I said, um, Don, what do you think? I'll never forget his answer. He said, I'm just thankful I did not die. Click, click. The light of faith had come on. He now knew he needed a savior and had one in God's son. I pursued it further with him. I said, I said, Don, in the class we talked about the power of the word of God and how the Holy Spirit uses the word to give a person faith and then to sustain and grow that faith over time. In your case, and tell me if I'm wrong, it just seems to me that something else happened before that helped you to turn the corner and begin to investigate God a little bit. Am I right? Did that happen? And if so, what was it? And he thought for a while and he said, yeah, 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 you're right. What was it? The crazy members of your church. <laughs> That's what he said. Of course, I asked him to ex please explain what you mean by that. He said they were crazy nice. Crazy nice. And I didn't get it. He went on to explain. Do you remember what a jerk I was when I first came to church? I wanted to say, yeah, I do. But we didn't go there. He said, that's not how they treated me, though. They were sincerely happy I was there. They welcomed me. They had break away from conversations they were having with people they knew real well to try to strike one up with me. They invited me back. Some guys even asked me to go, go, go golfing with them. What was that all about? They were crazy nice. And I didn't get it. But now I do. See, Don was an expert. Vice president of an international corporation. He was really going places. But until Jesus found him, one of those places was not heaven. My suspicion is, is that everybody here in church today with somebody like a Don. Maybe they're an expert. Maybe they just think they are. Doesn't matter. If they are without Jesus in a serious way in their life, they are either hurting and don't know it or hurting and don't know why. Is that person in your life your opportunity to build a bridge of kindness and helpfulness toward that hurting person so that in God's good time, they might just notice what you're doing, turn and come walking back towards you over the bridge you built in order to find out what makes you the way you are. You and I are part of the best feel-good story there ever will be. There are chapters in our story yet to be written. May those chapters include examples of us being good Samaritans, helping the hurting. Amen.